Yeah, a quick hello, and we're good to go. Welcome to the show, Matt. Always beautiful. <laughs> Thank you very much. And I just realized I said, welcome, Matt, which is what you put in front of your door. So that's really rude, <laughs> and I do apologize for that. Uh, we're going to be talking about levering, leveraging anthropology for effective content marketing. Now, content marketing, we all talk about that all the time, AI-generated content, EEAT. How can we create the best content for our users? Nobody, I don't think, really talks about it with an anthropological viewpoint. And that's what I really want to talk to you about, Matt. But before we get into that, I always start with the brand SERP, and you have a beautiful knowledge panel. Tell me, how much have you worked on that? Well, I think you know uh, from our conversations offline that both of us enjoy mucking around and uh, running experiments. So, yeah, I mean, I've played with it for a while. I, you know, I, I use, I have WordLift on my websites. Um, I've, you know, for years going back longer than most people would probably imagine. Actually, I shared it with you, that presentation from 2008, I think, where I was talking yeah. about, you know, some of this stuff. And um, it's, you know, just something I'm interested in. It's it's actually not even directly related to what I do, but I just find it fun. So I've been playing around for years. Yeah, and it, it, it's great. And all the experiments and trying to figure stuff out. And you're the one who got the Google Scholar uh reference and you found me on Google Scholar. I did. And that was because of an article I wrote for SEMrush about what is SEO and there were a couple of citations from there used in somebody else's work. It's now been removed because SEMrush replaced the article with a new article in which we can recognize my original article and so everything was removed from Google Scholars because the quotes are no longer in the article because SEMrush replaced mine with somebody else's which I'm pretty upset about. <laughs> But what we have been doing with CaliCube Pro is tracking you over time. So because I knew you were doing these experiments, I thought I would track it um, over time. This is your knowledge panel. This is the report that we get in CaliCube Pro. And it shows that you had people also search for that appeared for a couple of months last year and then disappeared again. And the people on there, do you, do you recognize them? Can you even read that small? I can't, but I remember seeing it. And actually, there was no relationship to them in my real life. Tommy Lee Wallace. Yeah, no. no. Okay. Well, generally speaking, Google will pick entities who are in the same space as the entity that it's showing. So theoretically, it, there is a relationship that Google sees there, and it's generally speaking an ontological relationship. Um, so it will be interesting to figure out why Google got that so wrong. And there we can see as well, uh, what I like about the graphic we've got at the top there is it shows when things change. You can easily spot, for example, that last year it added uh, two extra attributes and then a th another extra attribute uh, sometime it was in whenever it was, June, something like that. Um, and you've been adding attributes to the point at which now, if I go back here, You've got one, two, three, four, five, even more now. Um, do you actually work on adding the attributes? Do you try to encourage Google, educate Google? Yeah, well, um, you know, I think it's critical to sort of the positioning of all of us. I mean, you know, arguments of like brand, like individual brands aside and some of the, the, the arguments that people take up with that concept, I mean, the truth is, is we're all engaged in you know, commerce in one way or another. And, you know, I think having properly representing yourself 
is important. And that's why a platform obviously like CaliCube can help where it can help and why it's important. Right. I mean, it's, this is uh, without a doubt, something that is needs to be a consideration, I think of all individuals engaged in business. Hmm. And so I would say that while I probably don't play around with it to the degree that you do, you know, I think I am very conscious of it and I make sure that as I produce, whether that's, you know, give a relevant talk or academic work, I, whatever it may be on both sides of my life, I try to make sure that it is well represented so that people yeah. can find it. Like if we're going to put time into something, why wouldn't we want people to come across that? That's a really good point. I, I actually got a, a, an email from a client earlier on who wants to remove a quotation from Richard Branson about him from his knowledge panel, which is kind of cool because you think most people would want that and he actually just wants his text there. And the question was, how do we stop Google from digging down into the page and pulling that quotation out and using it as a knowledge card in the um, in the knowledge panel? So I'm actually now going through, I was like, talking about that because I was actually literally looking at it 10 minutes ago, trying to see how we can isolate that piece of information so Google doesn't take it to be the central piece of co content on the page, one of which would be to put it in a semantic HTML5 side block. Um, and another potential one is to use main content of page to identify another piece of content as the main content, which I would imagine would then discourage Google from using the quotation from Richard Branson. But that's a topic for another day. Um, just really quickly, a bit of advertising for us. If you do want your knowledge panel, you don't know how to get one, or if you have a knowledge panel, you want to improve it, we have a done for you service by CaddyCube, and that's by the wonderful Elisa and her CaddyCube Pro team. I built the CaliCube Pro platform. She uses it better than I do. So that's why she's the team leader at CaliCube Pro. You are listening to Branded Search and Beyond with Jason Barnard. Now, back to the show. Now, Matt, on to leveraging anthropology for effective content marketing. I'm hugely, hugely interested in this because first of all, I'm not sure I know what anthropology is. So can we start there? Yeah, sure. So that's the common you know, question that we all get. And well, I think I've asked you every time I've met you. <laughs> Everybody does, really. I mean, it's most people think of Indiana Jones, right? Right. That's kind of like the classic image people have in their heads. But, um, you know, so depending on the country you're in, anthropology might be defined different ways, but I largely am in the space of applied anthropology, which builds on cultural anthropology, which is the study of, you know, all things kind of human. I mean, anthropology is the study of all things human and cultural anthropology is particularly concerned with the, you know, the cultural aspect as opposed to maybe biological aspects or, or other aspects. And so um, we use the theories that have been produced over generations by anthropologists and even other disciplines around us and then in my case of as an applied anthropologist working in business, I apply those theories and methods to understand things like, you know, what gives consumers meaning and like, why might they like one ad campaign versus another, or why might they choose to, you know, want to use one product versus another and what kind of experience does that produce? And so everything from, you know, in business to organizational culture, and consumer insights to UX, you know, we basically work in all of those sectors and you see us in the research departments of you know, all of big tech and, you know, you name it, finance, everything, right? We're, we're kind of all over the place, uh, even though people don't really often realize what anthropology is. And we're often, you know, the ones driving research behind a lot of the products that are used. 
So, in effect, you're researching how to manipulate people's minds. Well, not to manipulate, but really to, um, you know, to really try and understand what gives people meaning and value in life and actually make sure that we deliver on that. Sorry, I was being a, a little bit cheeky, but sure. it, 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 is, it is more understanding what makes people tick so that you can better approach them in a way yeah. that makes sense to them culturally. But not, but yeah, to, to your wording at the end is the key, right? So not from a psychological perspective where we're trying to understand the individual and things like motivations and needs so much. We're not necessarily opposed to bringing that kind of work into what we do, but it's really about groups. So two or more people and trying to understand, you know, what makes that group kind of tick as you will, right? What, what gives that segment, you know, if you think of segmentation, um, meaning like, you know, the, how are we going to deliver the meaning to that group? How are we going to solve, you know, for them as a, oh. as a distinct group from another group? And you could look at that as like very broad groups, potentially even national cultures, but that's obviously there's a lot of subcultures within that. But, you know, in your case, if you had some people who were interested in maybe the, the platform CaliCube, you know, to use it themselves versus those who need a done for you service, right? The messaging is going to be completely different. Right. The value yeah, they're we're, gonna... we're struggling with that, to be honest, but yeah. And, you know, trying to understand what are their needs in a sense, right? Like that, you know, as a group, and then how do you deliver on that? So you really add value and that ultimately that platform produces something right. in their life that is incredibly meaningful to them. You know, again, as a segment, not just the individual, but. Oh, right. Because uh, right now we're working on those two different messages, one of which is agencies using the CaliCube Pro platform to provide the service of a knowledge panel to their clients. And the other is us providing that service directly to the clients using our own CaliCube Pro platform. So at the end of the day, the ultimate client is always the same. It's the company or the person who wants the knowledge panel or wants their brand cert managed. Um, how much would the presentation then differ? Because I then need to go through an agency owner or an agency um, team lead to convince them that they can then sell that service to knowledge panels onto their clients? You know, so I probably don't have the answer today, but what I would say is obviously you you need, so it's, you know, it's essentially sort of B to B to B or even B to B yeah. to C, right? And you, in your case, you're really going to need to understand the motivations and needs and, you know, what is valuable to all of them. And so, you know, if it's B to B to C, well, obviously you need to understand the, I would say, argue, you need to understand the consumer at the end, but you also need to understand, you know, the business value, right. right. To those in between. And obviously then you would need to communicate, you need to sell directly to the business, but th that business then needs to turn around and understand why they want to sell this, you know, or like how to sell it to the end yeah. customer. So it almost behooves you to do research and understand both and really, you know, help them in that sense, so like in customer success, right. that kind of sense, right? Um, so it but kind of I, doubles my work then in, in that case, because I've got to understand both of the, the target audiences. Yeah, not maybe because the message has to include both, but because somewhere in that sales process, you probably need to, or at least onboarding process, probably also need to help them understand how to resell. Right. Yeah. I'm setting up meetings with the agency owners who are currently using CaliCube Pro to try to understand what it is exactly they think of the platform and how they use it. So we're on the right track, but that's not what we're here to talk about. We're talking about content marketing using, using anthropology. And you were talking about AI-generated content. My comment was, I've been generating AI content, and I find it phenomenally uninteresting. And after 200 words, I fall asleep. So what do we do? 
Well, so one, there's obviously a question of voice there, right? Yeah. And and the the aspect of voice, I think, is up to you to edit and introduce yourself, which, you know, in your case is lively and fun and engaging. And so like, you know, by, <laughs> by, uh, you know, that, that's, that's just solely in your court to re to rewrite. Right. Yeah. But if, you know, th from using these tools, going back to kind of when Jasper came out, I would argue that they're very good for creating a scaffolding, you know, everything mm -hmm. from outlines. Right. And, but if we, if everybody's going to start using them, which is obviously like becoming a norm, and we're interested in norms in, in anthropology as well, right? Um, sure. You, I think a key differentiator, I would argue, is going to be the data that we can add to it, right? The stories that we can add to it to personalize. Uh, also, the need to make it culturally relevant again to segments. And so my suggestion would be, I'm not saying that anybody should be an anthropologist, but if you think of semantic search, you know, is essentially concerned with meaning. Mm. And if you think of anthropology as the study of meaning, then it you will, we can almost argue that we can apply anthropology to create semantically more relevant content that can speak to mm. the needs, you know, and contexts of individuals. Anthropology is very interested in context. And so with that as sort of like the overarching premise of the argument, I guess, I would say that you know, whether you're using AI content or not, I think there's an opportunity for everybody to move beyond the tools that they've historically used in, used mm -hmm. like, you know, SEMrush or Ahrefs or whatever it may be. Go beyond that to incorporate more research that is not just desk-based research, but is like, you know, qualitative research or other forms of quantitative research that maybe they haven't been using to really bring in depth to the writing that maybe often doesn't exist. Which brings the experience aspect that Google have just added to EAT. Is that what they're talking about? They're saying we need the experience because we need to understand that you have the, 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 the meaning or the, the understanding of the experience behind what it is you're saying. I mean, I think this can cut across all of now double EAT. You know, with the experience portion, I mean, again, we contribute to the UX, you know, across the board in, in companies, right? And so I think we can bring the UX component to making sure that that experience is is in the right place. But also, um, I am maybe, you know, I think it can touch on, on the other three letters as well, largely, right? And I think you can, I mean, to some degree, I guess, expertise is going to depend on your kind of credentialing a bit and are you fit to write that, but certainly kind of like with authoritativeness and trust you know, this kind of content is going to hit on those aspects, right? If we're bringing in research that only we've conducted and we've, you know, only have the data on, and if we're bringing in the personal experiences and stories, and if we are segmenting and writing to our segments so that we're making it contextually or kind of culturally relevant, if you will, and speaking to their own personal needs, motivations, which again is a little bit psychological, but also trying to frame that in a broader context, right. you know, that to me is where you start producing content that is going to be interesting, you know, to, to groups in a, in a world where content is proliferating at a rate that is phenomenal. Unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. And, and when you say data, you don't just mean numbers. You also mean information about society or information about the topic we're talking about. Yeah. So you know, data to us can, of course, be numbers, but think of 
in your own research, like say with the, the with CaliCube, if you've done research and you're talking with people, you're conducting interviews, qualitative research, somebody might say a quote to you that mm-hmm. is incredibly powerful that sums up like everything you've just learned, right? But it's also potentially a quote that other people will connect with because mm-hmm. it you know it imparts great depth of and nuance and meaning like in in just a small number of words. And so like something like a quote or like a little story or a little vignette goes a long way to also connecting with other people. And of course you see this on like, you know, platforms, uh, Turkle mm. and all the others, right? What, what are they doing? They're sourcing expert quotes essentially. And a lot yeah. of those expert quotes, you know, while they're probably very valuable, I think there's also an opportunity to be, be sourcing them from your own clients, your own customers, those that you would do research with rather than just sort of sourcing expert opinion, right? There's also the opinion, the value of your end users that you can be bringing in and all of the, I'm not saying to do one or the other, right? But bring all of these together to create something that in between that scaffolding, you fill in something that is truly unique that others wouldn't do. Right, that others wouldn't have, other content wouldn't have, and then the last bit I would just say is sorry, something just, that yeah. Sorry, just we'll come back to the last part. Um, no, there were two things I just wanted to say. There is number one is we had a system of pulling quotes from podcast episodes and from content, using as pull quotes and putting them in the content, both as images and as texts, and we kind of left it to one side. And this morning, literally, Christine decided she would restart the whole process. So this reassures me that that's a great idea. And the other is actual data from the CaliCube Pro platform. I realize we've got loads of data, and I can tell you that 39.1% of people have got a knowledge panel. And from that, we can then add that data into the articles, which gives the articles that distinct nature and the additional context and experience and expertise Mm-hmm. that makes sense for us. So we're, we're pulling that up as well. Sarah's working on that. So I just wanted to make that point partly because then Marianne can tell everybody on the team that we're on the right track. And then you said, and one more thing. Yeah, and just, just to build real quick on what you said, and, you know, right, the charts, the graphs, whatever it is, even yeah. the quotes could be, you know, maybe not the quotes, but certainly the charts and the graphs become images that are unique hmm. for image search, right? Which nobody else is going to have those images. It's not something from Unsplash, right? It's right? It is your data that you could also likely use and put out, you know, various sites for others to pick up and obviously mm. use and get links back from. Ooh, yeah, uh, sorry. Right. Um, and, and that's something for Jean Marie, who's currently going out and looking for mentions and links, is to say, well, we can offer quotes. And you said maybe not the quotes for an image, but we've made really nice images and they get shared quite a lot on social media. So that does, well, that has been working. So, all of those things, the data, the outreach, and the and the quotes, and the pull quotes in the articles, all genius ideas, and we should really get on with that. But you were going to say something else as well. Yeah, and so, you know, the last thing, and I know that you have an interest in this just from the last time we talked, but, you know, last time I we spoke um, for one of the WordLift sessions, I had mentioned, you know, the concept of unknown unknowns, and, yes. you know... <laughs> I, I know that, that that really interested you at the time, and, you know, to be... Uh, in full disclosure, it comes from at least I came across that sort of naming those that naming convention, if you will, uh, from the unknown known, the Errol Morse documentary on Donald Rumsfeld, which was a fantastic documentary. But completely wow. aside, but you know, to me, the unknown unknowns are really interesting because can, can, that can is, you just really quickly explain that we've got known knowns, known unknowns, unknown knowns, 
and known unknown unknowns. unknowns, right? And so, you know, <laughs> known knowns, things we are aware of and understand, known unknowns, things we are aware of, but don't understand, unknown knowns, things, things we understand, but are not aware of, and then unknown unknowns, things we're not aware of, you know, right. don't understand. And so, you know, to me, that's where so much opportunity lies, because that's likely, I mean, it might just be that you're not aware of it, right? But maybe the community at large is not aware of it. And mm. that's an opportunity to be writing about. Of course, today you hear people talking about, you know, writing on sort of zero search volume queries, still important mm. for like the broader topic. Well, likely in those sort of zero search volume queries and not even within the tools like SEMrush or Ahrefs or whatever, right, is a mm. whole bunch of unknown unknowns that there's an opportunity to develop, write about, define your space and you know also then maybe make yourself a thought leader right and in that in that aspect but there's just you know if you think of how much n new facts like new data new ideas become are created every single day just as society progresses there's so much for us to dig into instead of just you know doing the same kind of desk research that everybody else is doing and writing the same article the same content right Right. And so like, you know, by pulling in all of your existing data, like you have from CaliCube and then by sort of digging in with research to things that we don't even really talk about today and, and writing about that. I mean, it's like almost like academic research in that sense, mm. right. Where you're, you're doing new kind of discovery work and that is incredibly valuable. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm really keen to do that. My problem is I start digging into the data and then I come up with lots of unknown unknowns that then become unknown knowns or known knowns <laughs> to me. And then I can never figure out which ones to share. My hunch could be wrong is, you know, maybe you're overcomplicating and you should just pick yeah. one, keep it simple, you know, work on it and then just get it out and move on to the next. You can always optimize it later. Yeah, I think you know me quite well and you immediately say you're probably overcomplicating it. And I think <laughs> that's definitely true. And one problem with that is Google tends to look for consensus. So as soon as you step into an unknown unknown, if it's a truly an un unknown unknown, are you educating Google about something it didn't know, or are you going to create confusion and put yourself outside of your topic, your core topic, because Google can't confirm what it is you're saying? Well, I guess where, that's where maybe you're more of the authority than I am. But I would argue that you know at some point that top, you know, if they're always interested in in finding new topics and ingesting those, then somebody has to define it and somebody has to become the thought leader on it. Mm -hmm. And if being the thought leader on a new space helps you become more of an authority, you know, and right. it's directly still related, it's top like so, sort of semantically related. Um, I would argue, do you not want to do that? You know, even if it doesn't help in the immediate short run. Yeah. But uh, and there, there you have the problem, with the, which is the business problem of saying, right, okay, we've been creating content for the last year. It's around our core topic. A lot of it is new. And the return on investment right now is pretty much zero. Um, Google hasn't hooked onto it, for example, and, and people aren't using the terms that we've coined, like brand serpent uh, entity home. People don't use them very much. So we're kind of sitting on our own in a corner building all this content that for the moment has no no return on investment for the company. So you have to have a super long-term view if you're going to do that. I, and I would argue, I would agree with you. Um, and of course, there's business considerations there for sure. Um, you know, I would, it's a whole other 
podcast, right? But like the difference between sort of short-term thinking and strategic intent and like, you know, how Honda started with, you know, the lawnmower engine and made their way to cars over a very long horizon. Did they? Yeah. With um, motorbikes in between. With motorbikes in between. And, um, <laughs> you know, I, I, one who is looking towards the future. And so like, you know, one of the reasons I got into this space, like, you know, and really like making sure I manage the facts a little bit better was because I actually think that anthropology is not very visible. And so I'm actually working to make anthropology more visible over the very long term because I think it benefits sort of me, the discipline, you know, my, you know, my own career. Um, and so, yeah, I, I hear you that, you know, maybe that's not a fit for every organization, but I think it's also a fit if you want to have you know, branded search that is particularly interesting and helps you stand out. That That's very true with the branded search approach is making yourself stand out is making sure that you're providing something to Google that's, or and in fact, Bing as well with ChatGPT. And what, what I've seen there is the, the way it answers questions suggests other questions. And one of the interesting things I've seen is that the suggested questions and people also ask and in ChatGPT on Bing are often questions that are not necessarily asked, but simply questions where it has the answer because I've provided the answer around my brand. So part of the strategy as well is to build out that set of questions that people would ask on the way down the funnel within my particular uh, industry. And how would anthropology help me there? Uh, reframe the question for me. How well, I, I'm looking at anthropology as the human behavior. Yep. I want to then figure out what are the questions that bring the user down the funnel so that potentially chat GPT on Bing can simply suggest the questions and bring them down the funnel very quickly on the answer engine with an exchange, a conversation. So my hunch, you know, I've never done research in this space, but it's to your previous point, it's not entity home. It's not brand syrup, right? It's they're likely trying to solve some problem in their life Right. You know, that could be reputation management. That could be a need to be seen, right? There, there's mm -hmm. likely some beliefs and, and values that are driving that behavior. So, for example, you know, academics, you know, have a need to sort of position themselves in a certain way, um, mm -hmm. obviously, as, as sort of thought leaders in their space. It's how they get funding in, in some sense, right? It's how. Um, and so, you know, my point here is, is I think understanding the underlying, you know, what, of course, what are they really trying to solve? It's not that they want, you know, a knowledge panel per se. They want something that the knowledge that they think the knowledge panel may yeah. give them. Okay. Right. And that is likely not going, they're not going to tell you that often. You're going to have to sort of, in, you know, inductively infer that from everything else they say. Right. And that's a large part of our research process is, you know, we don't necessarily start with a hypothesis and work down to sort of disprove everything else. We generally start with a collection of a large amount of data and we build up ideas, concepts, themes about how people perceive the world, you know, what's valuable right. to them. And from there, we then basically are sort of generating, a, you know, a sort of, let's say, like a framework about what's important to somebody. Right. And so I would argue that, you know, if you're thinking about it from the perspective of, you know, they want a knowledge panel, they probably don't. They, again, I'm simplifying, right? But they probably want something else in yeah. their life and think a knowledge panel might contribute to that. 
Right, which just, I mean, it, it does completely show that I've been going at this com from completely the wrong, wrong angle. I look at something I find interesting and then try and convince other people that it's interesting rather than looking at what they're looking for and seeing how what I'm doing can fit into their goals in life. But I've actually got a conversation with Igor tomorrow all about how to frame that better and how to gather the data because we don't have data, um, which is definitely something we need to do. One, one question as well is what book should I read or what resource should I go to to learn about anthropology to help me with my content writing for my business? For content writing, that's, uh, in, well, so I have a podcast coming out um, with a colleague, which I could share with you after, who Brilliant. is doing exactly this kind of work. She was previously at Indeed, now at HubSpot, right? And they're using a sort of research. I mean, I can't speak to what's going on in the organizations, just what was on the podcast, of course. But mm -hmm. my understanding is they're really using a research-led approach to now content creation. Um, right. And so that would be a good resource that I can share with you. And then maybe, you know, you can add to show notes or whatever. Um, in, but there's really nothing like, you know, there's nobody writing about using anthropology for content creation yet. There's a lot of work on anthropology applied to business with a fair amount of work uh, Ah. focused on advertising and marketing. So Timothy Malafite, Robert Morais, um, they've written books in that in the space of applying it to, to advertising and marketing. Also Patty Sutherland, you know, these are some of like the classic authors in that space. Uh, I can share titles later if need be. Um, there's, you know, Journal of Business Anthropology. That's very interesting. But, you know, some of that is going to be a little bit more academic for sure. Um, mm. The books that I'm mentioning are a little bit more mass market for, Right. Okay. I mean, from, from my perspective, it's now thinking, well, I don't, I didn't know what anthropology is. Now I know a bit about what it is. Maybe learning some more about it would help me to better run my business from a marketing perspective, because I know I'm doing that wrong, but also for creating the content. Um, last question then is the final question for everybody, either or of these two questions, how can anthropology help with branded search or how does branded search tie in with anthropology? You know, well, it's, it's almost like a reflexive relationship in that like you almost, you know, it's one influences the other and you almost can't discern cause and effect, I would argue. Um, yeah. Or at least that's the way I kind of read the questions. And so I would think that anthropology, I would argue that anthropology can help branded search, you know, just again, from the perspective of culturally relevant, you know, branded search strategies that are grounded in research. But then I see that reflexively, you know, influencing the specialization, you're developing new skills, you're positioning the specialization itself, you, you know, in a sense, you're positioning you as the individual doing that work. And they just, to me, kind of, it's like a flywheel, they kind of continually feed off of each other. Right. And, and right. so I don't necessarily think they're separate. I think they're they're connected in this relationship. Brilliant. That's a great answer. We'll make a knowledge nugget out of that. Thank you so much, Matt. That was absolutely brilliant. And now we're going to pass the baton next week. Anika Jackson talking about integrated marketing strategies. But first, brand. And I can't say that I disagree with her on that, surprisingly enough. Matt, could you pass the baton to Anika? Pleasure. Yes. So passing the baton to, to Nika, uh, the host of your branded brand amplified marketer, you know, communication specialist, philanthropist, lot, many you know decades of experience here. So I, I suspect being another podcaster as well, it should be a great episode. Look forward to listening to it.
Brilliant. Thank you so much. And I absolutely loved that passing of the baton. Thank you so much, Matt. Thank you, everyone, for watching. See you next week with Anika. A quick goodbye to end the show. Thank you, Matt. Getting sweeter and sweeter. Thanks, Jason. <laughs> Cali Cube. It's all about your brand, Serp.